Good evening. First, let me say thank you for inviting me back uh, to share God's Word with you. I'm honoured and humbled to be asked to open up the Word of God. I say this everywhere I go. Um, th- this book is the most important book you'll ever read. I may have said this here before, but it's worth repeating. Um, these are not just words on pages. This is a voice of God speaking. And uh, he speaks as though he is speaking from heaven itself. And I'm always reminded uh, what the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 12 and 25. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him that is speaking. And this was a message to the church. The writer was writing to believers. He says, see that you do not refuse him that is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warmed them on earth much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Therefore, we must listen attentively and responsively to the word of God and what God is saying so that we might grow and become more like our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight in the wonderful name of the Saviour. And we thank you that he is such a wonderful saviour, having accomplished so much for us through his death on the cross of Calvary. And tonight, Lord, we're excited because you've brought us into a living relationship with the greatest person in the world. You've brought us into a relationship with the one, the only one who could set us free from sin. And you've brought us into this relationship with the only one who could prepare us for heaven. And tonight we are thrilled because you've taken the worst about us, Father, and you've placed it on your Son. And you've taken the best about him, his righteousness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness. And you've imputed it unto us. And we are not worthy of that. But we thank you, Father, that we've been made worthy through the shed blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary and so we pray tonight as we delve into your word we will become consciously aware of your voice speaking to us and the spirit challenging us and changing us as we humble ourselves before you let everything that is said and done tonight be for your glory and honour in Jesus name we pray Amen Tonight I would like if we could turn to James chapter 1. I've got up there verses 1 to 27, but for the sake of time I'm only going to read the first 12 verses. Um, I was, uh, for some time my spirit has been challenged regarding um, the fullness of the surrender of my life to Jesus Christ. And of course the title for this message tonight is The Surrendered Life. And next week we're going to be dealing with the surrendered life also. First three points I want to look at tonight is being a bond servant. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. How much do we identify with his Lordship? How much are we subject to his Lordship in our lives? And then we're going to look at trials and suffering. From two perspectives. One from the the perspective of the gospel and personal suffering. Illness. Death. Um, sometimes disablement, disability, 
And then thirdly, we want to look tonight at endurance. What the Bible has got to say about the person who is surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. How they can endure and know the victory of the Lord Jesus in their lives. Strangely enough, I was drawn to this book. And I believe it was the direction of the Holy Spirit because I was reading it. Do you ever do that when you read the Bible and you into a passage and, and something jumps out at you? And it's fantastic because that's the Spirit bringing the Word to life and that's really important for us tonight. So I want, uh, therefore in the reading, to consider total between this week and next week six aspects of that. Um, but tonight we're going to look at three aspects. Being a bond servant, trial suffering and suffering for the Gospel and personal suffering and thirdly, Endurance. So first of all, let's look at being a bondservant. What does it mean? Being a bondservant means lordship in your life. This is one who yields up his or her life entirely to another, who then becomes master over them. I like what Jude says when he talks about those who had crept into the church they come in like moles underneath and they were causing all sorts of problems within the church. And he says, they deny the only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And so, when we give our lives to Christ, he becomes the master of our lives. A bond servant is a slave. In some Bibles, the word bond servant is a translation of the Greek word doulos. Which means one who is subservient to and entirely at the disposal of his master. Other translations use the word slave or servant. And in Roman times the term bond servant or slave could refer to someone who voluntarily served others. But it usually referred to one who was held in a permanent position of servitude. Under Roman law, a bond servant was considered the owner's personal property. And here's something that's interesting. Slaves essentially had no rights. And they could be killed by their owners. As far as Christians are concerned, we are considered to be bound eternally through faith to our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We're not just bound in Him. We are bound to him. Therefore it's a very high calling to be a Christian. This is the highest calling that we could ever have in our lives. It was a, a decisive act of God when he touched each of our lives. And brought us into a living relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. The first step in becoming a Christian, of course, is surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And only with the Holy Spirit empowering us can any of us live as godly people surrendered to him. Now I want us to look at this passage. We're going to just read through it very quickly because we're going to make some points concerning this passage. And we'll also refer to one or two other passages of Scripture. James a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful term? I wonder if that could be said of you and I. To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Considering it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, 
and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers with grass. And its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. But blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, the entire direction of our life changes. Now some people don't realise that. Some people put their faith in Christ when they're very young. I was 13 years of age when I was born again of the Spirit of God. But I knew that God had touched my life and changed me forever. Although I didn't know to what extent he would continue to change me. So when we talk about the surrendered life tonight, we're talking about an ongoing process. Where we're yielding over our complete life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The life is a changed life and Paul reminds us of that when he writes to the Corinthian church, doesn't he? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old life has passed away and the new life has come. This Christian life is, as I said, a decisive act of God in the life of every blood-bought believer. The Christian life is the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, convicting us of sin, righteousness and judgment. And of course Jesus speaks about this in John chapter 16. And he, that is the Holy Spirit, said the Lord, when he comes he will convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. Do you see me no longer? And of judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So when we begin to see life from God's perspective, rather than pursuing our own agendas, a Christian will approach life in a different mindset. Different to the world outside. Different to those that we work with. Different to those that we probably socialise with. Different possibly to our neighbours. We will adopt a different mindset altogether. Our desires are no longer for the previous life that was lived out in the world. But to be a good servant for our Lord and Master. Paul when he was writing to the church at Rome said this. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now that word renewed there, in the context it means renovation. Everything has to be stripped out. I want to challenge you tonight. As you have grown as a Christian, are there areas of your life that remain unsurrendered to Jesus Christ? I want you to think of this building. I don't know, I'm not sure what kind of building it was before you came into it. Graham, what was it? It was a co-op shop. It was a co-op shop. And a bootmaker's. Wow. So it needed to be renovated. Why? Because we couldn't really have worshipped in it in its present place, in its present condition, in its present state, and all that it represented. We had to strip it back to the walls. And we had to make it into a habitation for God. And this place has become a place of worship. And so it is with you and I as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. God wants to strip everything that is not of himself out of us. So that we will be fully yielded to him. So that our body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, will become a habitation for God to dwell in. And to live out his life through us for his glory. And that the world might see, not just the old Robert Dyer, but that the world might see that this man is changed and reflecting the glories of the risen Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, we read these words. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passes away, and it's lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. So when we come to faith in Christ, part of the Lordship of Christ is this, that we're not working in according with our own agenda and our own will, what I want to do, where I want to go, what I want to be, the things I want to say, what I will listen to. Not at all. Not our will. But His will at work within us. So how then do we live a surrendered life? First of all, we must be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by submitting to his authority in our lives and changing our behaviours so that they magnify the person of Christ and produce lasting fruit for his glory. I think I'll say that again. What do we need to do to live a surrendered life? First of all, we must be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by submitting to his authority in our lives and changing our behaviours so that they magnify the person of Christ and produce lasting fruit for his glory. Alright, there's the first part. Being a bondservant. Acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ and seeing all of his will outworked in our lives for his glory. 
Let's look at the second aspect of that, and it's trials for the sake of the gospel and personal suffering. If we are to live a surrendered life as God commands and expects of us, how do we cope when trials come our way? In our passage, it's clear that the Apostle James is writing to Jewish believers who are being persecuted. James 1 and 1. James, a servant of God, a bondservant, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. These Jewish believers were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that Christ is risen from the dead had sent shockwaves throughout the Roman Empire and also amongst the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Therefore Jewish leaders and Roman governors wanted to quell the conversion from Judaism to Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was revolutionary. It was pivotal in underpinning the foundation of the church. The early church's power and authority with which the early apostles spoke was seen by Rome and the Jewish leaders as a challenge to their own authority and power. And at all costs, they wanted to, subdread, sub, uh, they wanted to suppress and subdue this spiritual uprising through imprisonment, torture and death. In fact, all of the apostles who became martyrs, John, the apostle John himself, they tried to kill him. They put him into a vat of oil and boiled him up. They banished him onto the Isle of Patmos and they couldn't kill him. God had a work for him. And I want to say this to you tonight. There may be times when you're called to pass through all sorts of trials. And we're going to touch about one or two trials just in a moment. I want you to know that there is nothing that you will pass through that God is not in control of. There are things that he brings our way that we won't even understand why. But we must learn to trust in the sovereign will and power of God. What then has James to say to those Jewish Christians who are suffering, which is also pertinent to us today? Verse 2, and this is where I thought Graham had pinched my message when he read the psalm. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In our day, it would not be unreasonable for the unconverted to read this and readily think the Apostle James was in some sense having a laugh at the expense of those being persecuted. Consider it all joy. Now I want you to think of times when you've been through some difficult pain. Something's really been hurtful in your life. And the word of God comes to you. The Lord shouts down to you. Listen, I want you to consider this joy. <laughs> Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. Not in the slightest. But listen. When God brings things our way and we are living in, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you will learn to trust the sovereignty of God. Everything that he brings our way is for our good. I want to tell you a story. There was a Chinese man who was converted to Jesus Christ. 
and of course the authorities found out about him and uh, they encouraged him very gently to renounce the name of the saviour and he refused to do it they locked him in a container they took away his bible but they couldn't take the word of God out of his heart they then put him into prison and every morning they would bring him out of his cell and they would turn a very cold water hose on him and they would hose him up and down to try and get him to yield and he wouldn't yield because he knew the power of God at work on his life and sometimes you know God takes us so far almost to a breaking point and just at that moment he provides a way of escape and for this man one morning he was taken out of his cell and they're hosing him down and he called upon the Lord he says Lord I can't take this any longer please please help me in this Lord I can't take it any longer and all of a sudden that bitter cold water got tepid nice and warm and his captors saw the steam rising off his body and they flew for their lives now why did God do that? so that he would speak to those captors about the supernatural power of God to be able to change the circumstances that this man was in for his glory and he was ultimately released let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about joy in suffering Philippians 1 verse 12 says this now I want you to know brethren that in my circumstances that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel that Chinese man was spoken about all over how God had turned that bitter cold water into a nice warm temperature it was like having a bath or a shower people knew they began to realise that God was not just somebody who was a figment in their imagination or somebody that they thought created them years ago and that was it God was working in the lives of individuals today displaying his power and his glory in a very miraculous way and I want to say to you that's what God wants to do through you he wants to display his power and glory in a very miraculous way and Paul says my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else his suffering, his imprisonment, his beatings, his shipwrecks the torment that he went through was for the greater good of the gospel so that people would realise that God was in control of this man's life here's a man who'd been persecuting Christians who'd been beating them up and putting them to death and all of a sudden God stops him in the Damascus road a deliberate act of God and he brings that man to his knees and he claims Christ as his saviour and you know what the Lord said to him? Paul, he says I'm going to show you how much things you must suffer for my name's sake guess what happened Paul knew what he had been delivered from the burden of the law into the liberty of grace in Jesus Christ he knew that he had been delivered from hell 
And he knew that the moment that he died, he would go straight into the presence of God for all eternity. He knew that he'd been delivered from the power of Satan and beating people up and putting them to death. And presenting and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to both Jew and Gentile alike in order that they might find life in Jesus Christ. So no longer was his life given to killing people and destroying them. But his life was given over to seeing people saved by the amazing grace of God. And that's what God wants to do through you. He wants you to look at yourself inwardly. He wants, to look at your, you, he wants you to look at your soul in the light of God's word. This Bible is like a mirror when you look in it and you read it and it challenges you. And it convicts you. And God wants you to change for his glory. Well, he goes on. Verse 18 in Philippians 1, Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I rejoice in this. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and at the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ, even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He was not willing to compromise. Christ was at the centre of his life. And in verse 21 he says, For me to live is Christ. To die is grain. I have, again, I have a dear friend, and he quoted it like this. For me to live is Christ. To die is more Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Well, for it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So God has intended that at some point in our Christian experience we will suffer for the sake of Christ. I was mocked the other day when I was witnessing for Jesus Christ. I got another, I got another opportunity the following day to witness to a Muslim. I went in for a haircut and I sat down in the chair and the guy I know introduced me to this lad. He says, what can I do for you? He says, just a quick tidy up um, Pretty shy in the top as it is, don't worry about that. But I said, just a quick tidy up. He said, okay. And he said, do you know Peter? I said, yes, I know Peter. I've known Peter for years. I used to go to school with him. Oh, he says, what a good Christian he is, says this Muslim chap. I said, I also am a Christian. Oh, are you? I said, yeah. Now, the shop was busy. There were about four or five chairs. And there's people sitting on the bench round about. I said, yes. I said, what about you? Oh, he said, I'm a Muslim. I says, are you? I said, can I ask you a question? Yes, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Heaven or hell? And you could have heard the pin drop in the shop. But they all got the gospel message. I said, do you know that God took the worst about you and placed it on his son, Jesus Christ? And he wants to impart to you eternal life, forgiveness of sins, peace and joy and everlasting life. And he wants to write your name in the Lamb's book of life so that you will be in heaven should the worst happen to you. 
he said oh I've I've never considered that I said will you consider it yes and when he was finished cutting my hair he said we must talk again you see we're just responsible for sowing seed sow the good seed of the gospel some of that seed will fall into good ground and one day it will bring forth a harvest for the glory of God and you won't even know anything about it you begin to wonder I was listening to a man one night giving his testimony somebody had thrown a bible into a dustbin and this man was a a dustbin man he emptied the dustbins and as he was going along to empty the dustbins he lifted the lid up and he saw the Bible and he took it out put it in his pocket emptied the dustbin and went home at the end of his work day when he opened up the Bible he began to read it and God spoke to him the person that threw that Bible in the bin wouldn't even for a moment consider the impact it would have in this man's life and he yielded his life to Jesus Christ and was used greatly for God you see you can't tell what's going to happen Paul's focus was centred in Christ there was nothing that would distract him from his calling in Christ his joy in serving Jesus was advanced by his suffering for the sake of the gospel and even if he was to die in serving the Lord and Master whom he loved he would immediately go home to be with the Lord why? for me to live is Christ to die is green absent from the body present with the Lord which is very far better Okay, there's, there's suffering for the gospel's sake. What about personal suffering? We should pray for God to help both to heal and to strengthen faith while we are sick. There's, there's one thing that will be affected when we're particularly sick, and that's our faith. And Satan will try to use what God has permitted you to pass through. He will try to use that to destroy your faith. Earlier this year I was in a terrible state with psoriasis early in the mornings I was having prayer meetings with the Lord I was, because my faith was getting down and saying Lord I can't bear it anymore, what are you going to do why are you putting me through this until I got into hospital and I got the opportunity to witness concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and tell some of these doctors and nurses about his love and how he died on the cross for them if I hadn't had the psoriasis in the first place I wouldn't have got that opportunity to go in there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and it's fitting that a loving father should give his children only what's best God knows what's best for us but if sometimes it is best for us not to be healed now how shall we know what to pray? How shall we know when to stop asking for healing and only ask for grace to trust his goodness? Paul faced that problem in his own experience in life. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 um, Paul, not unlike Job, was given a thorn in the flesh which he called the messenger of Satan. We don't know what it was. Some say it was his eyesight. But he says that he prayed three times a day, three times rather for its removal. But then God gave him the assurance that he, though he would not heal him, his grace would be sufficient. And his power would be manifest, not only 
Not in the healing, but in the faithful service of Paul through suffering. That's strange, isn't it? Count it all joy. Consider it joy, says the Apostle, when you go through various trials. I tell you, I've had the joy of seeing people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no greater joy. Even when I was taken into hospital, suffering from fumes inhalation. And I was saying, Lord, why have you brought this my way? Which I always do. I'm always saying, Lord, why have you allowed this to happen? Because I want him to show me. The following morning I got up out of bed and went across to the lad that was lying in bed. And I said, hello, my name's Robert Dyer, how are you? And he told me what his name was, I can't remember it now. I said, what are you doing in hospital? He said, I'm here to die. <laughs> I said, really? I said, well, I've got, an, I've got news for you. He said, what? He said, meet your neighbour. I said, I'm here to die as well. Do you know this from the moment we're born? What's happening? We begin to die. Because of the nature of sin within us. And I said, I want to tell you I'm a Christian. And I want to ask you, are you prepared for death? He says, oh, he says, I used to be in a church, son. He says, and I gave it up. I says, what church were you in? Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He says, I fell out with them because I didn't agree with them in some of their doctrine. And now he says, I've just given it up altogether. I said, well, I want to share with you the gospel. Do you know that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross? Do you know that he died and paid the penalty for your sin? And if you're willing to repent of your sin now, that means turn away from it and acknowledge Christ as your Savior and Lord. You'll be ready to meet God in the final judgment. And that morning, he bowed his head and yielded his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Why was I allowed to go through that? The Lord answered my prayer. Show me, Lord. So that I might have the joy of seeing this man come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Why did I have a heart attack in November 2014? And go into a hospital. And have the joy of seeing a woman. An 80 year old woman who would never have been helped by any kind of operation. Because she was so weak. Her heart was failing. And had the joy of seeing her come to faith in Christ. God will take you through all sorts of circumstances. But ask him to reveal himself to you in a very special way. And he will do that for his glory. God gave him, Paul, the assurance that he would not heal him. Yet his grace would be sufficient for him. And Paul addresses this problem of healing in Romans chapter 8. He said, we've got the same problem while we're awaiting the redemption of our bodies. Sometimes all we can do is cry out to God for help because we do not know in what form the help will come. The Spirit of God takes our stumbling, uncertain expressions of need and brings them before God in a form that accords with God's intentions. And God responds graciously and meets our needs. Not always as we first hoped, but always for our good. So let us not be proud and stand aloof from God, bearing what fate he has brought, but rather let us run to our Heavenly Father in prayer and plead for, us to help, plead for him to help us in a time of need. 
we should always trust in the love and power of God, even in the darkest hour of suffering. One thing that distresses me most about those who say Christians should always be miraculously healed is that they give the impression that the quality of faith can only be measured by whether a physical miracle takes place. Whereas, as we read much of the New Testament, you will get the impression, the distinct impression, that the quality of our faith is reflected in the joy and confidence we maintain through God, in God, through our suffering. The glory of God is manifest in a mighty way when he heals. And when he gives a sweet spirit of hope and peace to the person that he does not heal. This too is a miracle of God's amazing grace. I remember my brother who suffered six years with cancer. And I called him up one day and said to him, Kenny, I want, I want to share this with you. It's the words of a hymn. I said, I can't enter into this because I've never been where you are. He was facing death. He was told that he would be dead within two years, I think it was. He actually lived for six years. And he endured terrible, terrible pain, horrible suffering with the treatment they were giving him. His head broke out in boils. He was in a terrible mess. And he was in and out hospital constantly. But I said, I want to share the words of this hymn with you. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He addeth more strength when the labours increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. His love hath no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. But out of the infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Do you know what, know what the next verse says? When we have exhausted our hoard of endurance. <laughs> when our strength has failed, the days have done. When we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. I want to say that to you tonight. If you've been through any suffering, I want you to know the grace of God is there in all of its abundance. And Kenny said to me, Rob, he said, one of the things that I've experienced in this suffering, he said, I've had the opportunity to witness to doctors and consultants and nurses and professors about what God has done in my life. And this is, they're baffled. They can't understand the joy that I have in Jesus Christ. I could. You see, there is no hope like the Christian gospel. Nothing. Like the Christian gospel. And six years later he went home to be with the Lord and I went to his funeral. And I shared in that funeral service. And there were a thousand people uh, gathered almost at, at uh, the Baptist church. Uh, where they held his, his uh, celebration service. And what a wonderful tribute it was to his life. Not as a natural person. But because of his faith in Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Oh.
so that we might be a people among whom God sometimes healing our sickness, God is sometimes healing our sickness, but is always causing us to be full of joy and peace while our sickness remains. Oh, that we might be a people of God who echo from the bottom of our hearts the faith of Johnny Erickson who after a long struggle with paralysis and depression she wrote a book called Joni and she said at the end of the book the girl who became emotionally distraught and wavered at each new set of circumstances in her depression and in her paralysis guess what she's now grown up a woman who has learned to rely and trust in the sovereign will of God saints of God I want to say this to you that as we grow older we will discover God in a far greater way than we could ever have imagined there's a poem that says this and then I'll move on very briefly to the last point it's called the loom of time but it gives us some understanding of the, the mix of good and bad of positive and negative things which would happen to us as we journey through life Man's life is laid in the loom of time To a pattern he does not see While the weavers work and the shuttles fly Till the dawn of eternity Some shuttles are filled with silver threads Some with threads of gold While often but the darker hues are all that they may hold But weaver watches with skilful eye Each shuttle fly to and fro and sees the pattern so deftly wrought as the loom moves sure and slow. God surely planned that pattern. Each thread, the dark and fair, is chosen by his master's skill and placed in the web with care. He only knows its beauty and guides the shuttles which hold the threads so unattractive as well as the threads of gold. Not till each limb is silent and the shuttle cease to fly shall God reveal the pattern and explain the reason why the dark threads were as needful in the weaver's skilful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern which he planned. How can we live this surrendered life? The surrendered life is a life which trusts without wavering in the sovereign hand of the Lord and Master whom we have been called to serve. Realising that God's timing is always right for every event in life, even in our suffering. Let me look at the third point very quickly with you, conscious of time, and it's that of endurance. There are three verses in the passage which speak of endurance. Verse 3, verse 4 and verse 12. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In the translation of the scriptures, the word patience and endurance are used interchangeably. The same mean in both instances and translates to abide under and to bear up courageously, under suffering. 
Paul reminds us in the Galatian epistle that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. Wow, isn't that amazing? For I believe the greatest example of patient endurance was our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter gives us some insight into that. Here's what he says. For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. It's easy when everything is going well for us. Patience is easy to demonstrate, isn't it? But almost when the forces of hell are unleashed against us, we get impatient, don't we? The Bible, however, praises patience as a fruit of the Spirit which should be evident in all followers of Christ. Patience reveals our faith in God's timing, omnipotence and love. I'm going to say that again. Patience reveals our faith and trust in God's timing, omnipotence and love. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read these words. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good. For one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What are the lessons for us to learn here? Well, what's your first instinct when someone wrongs you? I'm sure it's not always to show them grace. I've been there. I know what like it is. When I was getting wrong, you know, you, you react to it. It's a natural thing to do. And you want to have five minutes in the flesh, don't you? Can you identify with that? You know, when something goes wrong and somebody upsets you and you want to have another go. When last were you tempted or reviled or suffered under trial? Did you give God thanks? Remember, when Paul was beaten and put in prison for the sake of the gospel, he sung praises. And as a result of the word, as a result, the word of God spread. And on another occasion, it resulted in all, an all-night prayer meeting. And the Philippian jailer and all his household were saved. So let's summarize. How do we live this surrendered life? We must be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the surrendered life is a life which trusts without wavering in the sovereign hand of our Lord and Master. And thirdly, the surrendered life is one of persevering and enduring under trial. Like Job, knowing that when we are approved, the Lord himself will give us a crown of life. On the morning before my brother passed away, I went into the presence of the Lord. He phoned me. He says, Rob, I'm just letting you know, son, that this will be our, fa our last conversation. <laughs> we were blinded with tears, you know. He says, I've fought a good fight. He says, I can't even finish it. I'm too weak. I said, 
let me finish it for you. The, the Apostle says, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give us on that day. And not to me only, he says, but to all those that love his appearing. Here's how to live the surrendered life. Keep watching and waiting for the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be richly blessed beyond measure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that it's living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray tonight, Father, that your word will find a resting place in our hearts. And that we'll have been, been blessed by it. And that your name will have been magnified. And that what happens from this day onwards in each of our lives will be that we will become more like the person of Jesus Christ. And that the radiance of his glory somehow will shine through us and reach out to others in saving grace and in saving faith, extending your kingdom and winning souls for Jesus Christ. Draw us closer to yourself, we do pray. For we give you thanks in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.